Well, good morning again. Um, we're going to start a, a sermon series today. Uh, we're working through some stuff in the book of Matthew, and, and a lot of what I'm wanting to cover talks about how Jesus dealt with the different obstacles that came his way. I think we can find some strength and, and some guidance there for how we handle the obstacles that life tosses our way to, and that's kind of the agenda for this sermon and sermon series, and, and we'll get into that uh, over the next few weeks. So if it's your first week, it's a great week to be here uh, uh, getting started with that. Um, I was reading, I read a devotional every uh, day, and, and it was either this week or, or late last week. I read a thing in there where he talked about that life is a series of problem-solving opportunities. I never thought about it that way. I thought that was kind of a curious thing to think about, and that, that he was saying in the devotional that that's part of the reason why we have the life we have, is that, is that God's using this life to sharpen us, and the different things that happen to us, the different relationships, the different uh, job opportunities, the different chances to use our gifts or strengths or, or, or overcome our weaknesses, that they're all opportunities to solve problems, and I thought that was interesting, so that kind of turned around in my head as I was thinking of this series and thinking of how I wanted to put it together. And then I, I, I looked it up, because I wanted to see if I had the quote just right, and it turns out it was by Rick Warren. He's the guy who actually said it. He said, life is a series of problem-solving opportunities. The problems you face will either defeat you or develop you, depending on how you respond to them. That life is a series of, of problem-solving opportunities, and that they will either destroy you or develop you, right? just depends on how you react. Well, when you understand that, well, everything is spiritual then. I mean, everything is spiritual. I mean, a tennis game is spiritual. A work is spiritual. How you deal with your neighbor is spiritual. I mean, even uh, putting a new belt on the mower when it breaks is spiritual. I mean, how you respond to the different stuff that goes on in this life is either, all those times, in some small or big way, uh, destroying you or developing you into who you're supposed to be. Although that was interesting, and again, it just kind of turned around in my head, and I was, I was thinking about it. Now, as I was putting the sermon together, that, that idea kept coming back to my head. How do you respond when life tosses you all this awful stuff? Will it make you grab a hold of God tighter, or will it make you let go of God altogether? Because, because I've been tempted with both, depending on what happens to me. There have been certain struggles in my life that when they happened, immediately I started praying real hard. I mean, it made me pray. As soon as it happened, I started really getting serious about my prayer time with God. And there have been other problems in my life where, if I'm being honest, it kind of kept me away from God. I mean, it, it, I was mad that God didn't fix it for me. I was mad that God ever let this sort of thing happen to begin with, and, and it kind of made my relationship with Him cloudy. I wish I could say that it's just been one steady climb my whole life, but it's not been, and I don't think it is for most people. I think if you're being honest, it, 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 it's in waves a little bit. As his spirit works on you more, and as you respond like you're supposed to, you get closer, and, but there's certainly times when you don't. And it made me think of two, two uh, parables, or jokes, or preacher stories, whatever you want. You've heard both of these. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. These are old ones. You've heard both of these, and that's okay, because they both make a point, and, and they're short. So just bear with me, and don't tell your, your I, I've heard this, because, because you have. You've all heard it, and I know that ahead of time. So, so here it is. The first one is a Sunday school class. 
and the teacher's trying to get the kids to, to speak up. They're not talking. It's like a fifth, sixth grade or junior high, and they're not talking. And she's trying to get them to talk uh, about the lesson. They won't answer any of the questions. And so finally, she decides she'll ask them a question she knows they know the answer to, just to get the ball rolling. So I'm thinking of an animal walks around in your yard. It's gray, has a big, long, fuzzy tail. What am I thinking of? And nobody says anything. Oh, come on, you know. Big, long, fuzzy tail, walks around your yard, big front teeth, uh, puts nuts in the tree, hides them for, for, uh, for the winter. Nobody answers. Come on, Chuck, you know the answer to this, she says to one of the kids. And he goes, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus. And, and, uh, and if, if you've not heard it, right, the, the plot of it is you're supposed to, the, the joke of it is, when you come to church, you put your rational brain aside, right? There's the brain you need to get through work, the brain you need to get through school, the brain you need to, to deal with real problems in life. But in church, we spiritualize everything. You know, and so the answer has to be Jesus, right? You're not supposed to use your brain. Just trust that Jesus will fix everything and that'll be fine. That's the first one. Second joke, and again, you've heard it. I know you've heard it, so it's okay. Don't, don't, again, don't, hey, I've heard this one. Okay, yeah, I'm telling you ahead of time you heard it. There's a, a hurricane coming into a coastal town, and the, and the Coast Guard has told everybody to evacuate. You need to go inland. It, it's going to be awful. The storm, storm surge is supposed to be enormous. But one guy says he's not leaving. He knows that God will rescue him. And so he tells his neighbors, I'm not leaving. I'm, God's going to save me. And the, and the hurricane comes, and the, the storm surge comes in, and he's waist high in his front yard. And a neighbor comes by in a kayak and says, hop on, I can get you out of here and let's go. And he goes, no, God's going to save me, he says. And the water keeps coming. And before too long, he's on his roof. And a Coast Guard boat comes down the main street there, says, hop in. You know, you should have left when we told you, but we get in and we'll rescue you. Nope, God's going to save me, he says. And now he's on the peak of his roof. It's just his head's above the water and his hands. And a TV helicopter that's uh, filming everything sees him there, drops the rope down, get on, you know, and... And no, God's going to save me, he says. And, uh, and then he dies. And when he gets to heaven, he says to God, what, what gives? I told everybody I had, I had this faith in you. You never did anything. God says, I sent you a, a kayak and a Coast Guard and a helicopter. Why didn't you take one of those? What am I supposed to do? You've heard that, right? Well, anyway, in a joke, same point again. We, 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 we Christians... We sometimes can spiritualize everything. Well, God will take care of it, and we hope for some miraculous thing that obviously and only could might be God. And, and if you've been in church very long, you've either experienced, like I have, or you've heard people who have had the experiences where people prayed and it got better. Just, I mean, just, just almost miraculously like that. Uh, the doctor tells the guy, you've got a couple of years left to live, and the whole church prays. And he goes back in, and the doctor says, I can't find any of the spots. They're all gone. I don't understand it. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And, and you know what happened because you prayed, but, but no one else. To them, it's just, a, it's just unbelievable. It can't be explained. Or, or, or somebody's in a real bad financial situation. You know, they're just barely hanging on. And, and, and so the whole church, they all pray for them. And, and that next day, uh, somebody comes out of the blue and offers them a job. Or, 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 or that next day, the, the money just like in a bag or some money there. Or, or some bill comes in that they're paid back for something, or something happens, and it just almost immediately after the prayer. And that's really cool when that happens, but that's not normally how things happen. Normally, what God expects is for you to use your brain and your experiences and your, your gifts and to lean on your family and your friends and your church and, and solve the problems that come. Life, at some level, is just a series of problem-solving opportunities. And those uh, solutions and the ways you approach those problems will either develop you or destroy you, depending on which, uh, what you choose. 
And I really do think that's an interesting way to look at life. I think life is more complicated than that. And I think the question, why are we here, is a little more complicated than that too. But I think that explains a lot. And I think that's true. In my experience, and as I've studied scripture, and as I've meditated on this sort of thing, I think that is part of the purpose of life, is to build you into the person you're supposed to be. And it all comes into how we respond when things go, in our opinion, wrong. So I want to talk about somebody in the Bible that that happened to, and I want to talk about how Jesus responded to that person, and then see if we can't pick up something from it. And to do this, I'm going to cover a lot of Matthew 11. Now, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but it'll be Matthew 11. All of chapter 11 is talking about one issue. It, it pops in several sections, but it's one issue. The whole chapter is about one thing, and we'll get to that here in a minute. But i got to introduce you first to a guy, if you don't know the, the Bible, a guy named John the Baptist or John Baptizer. Uh, John, uh, before he was born, there were prophecies made about him. God said, this kid is going to do miraculous things. Before he was ever born, an angel appears and, and tells. And then there's miracles about his birth. His parents are well beyond the age of childbearing, and, and the mother is miraculously pregnant. Uh, the father doubts that God is in the middle of this at first, and he's, he is struck mute. Uh, and can't talk at all for the whole duration of the pregnancy, and then as soon as the baby's born, he can, he can speak. And, and people talked about it. I mean, from the time that John was born, uh, the family was a prominent family. People all over the countryside talked about this kid, what's going to happen. And as he gets older, as the kid gets older, rather than going into some prosperous business, because he's kind of, people are watching him, see what he's going to do, he goes out into the desert all by himself, and, and uh and he's, he's, he's eating bugs, and he's dressed in, in the poorest kind of clothes, and he starts preaching that God is about to bring the hammer down. Uh, just to give you a, a, a flavor of, of some of the things that John said, Here's, this is one of his sermons in John, excuse me, Matthew chapter 3. He says, the axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, I baptize you with water so you'll repent, but after me, comes another one more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He's going to baptize the Holy Spirit in fire. So John's saying, I'm telling you right now, I'm a hellfire brimstone preacher, but there's a guy coming after me who's really going to bring the hammer down. He's going to kick tail. When, when, when the Messiah comes, you're really going to see, and he, and he, he furthers on that. He, his wind, talking about the Messiah, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going to clear the threshing floor, gather the wheat in the barn, and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And it's a, it's a hell picture that, that before too long, Jesus is going to come and it's going to get bloody. You need to repent. That's the whole message from John, or in, in big part, that's the message. And then Jesus does come. And almost immediately after Jesus comes, uh, John is arrested because he wasn't just preaching those things to poor people who couldn't do anything about it. He was also preaching those things to rich people who could do plenty about it. And one of those rich people uh, King Herod threw John into prison. And so he sits there, and Jesus starts preaching. And John's waiting for the thunder to start, right? John's in prison. Okay, now you're going to see something. Now you're going to see what happens when God really starts to fix this world. But nothing happened. Not like John thought it would anyway. And so in the chapter I'm about, Matthew 11, when John, who was in prison, heard about the things the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples, John sent his own disciples to, to Jesus and said, are you the one we were looking for? And again, it's just expectations. John thought that when, when Jesus came, he would start cleaning house, but he didn't. 
He's letting people come to him who are the worst sorts of people. He's, he's talking to people who are drunks and prostitutes, and, 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 and he's not cleaning house like John thought he would. And so Jesus responds. He go back and report. Go back and tell John that the blind can see, and the lame can walk, and those who have leprosy are clean, and, and the deaf will hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Go back and tell John, I'm doing stuff. It's not the stuff maybe that he was wanting, but I'm, I'm fixing things. I'm helping people. And, and then he tosses this line out. And I told you earlier, I was already kind of thinking about that idea that life is a series of problem-solving opportunities. Well, then I read this sentence. And I think it's kind of an interesting thing that Jesus says. I think if, if somebody was just inventing the Bible, like it wasn't all true, just somebody made up a story, I don't think this verse gets in. Because what Jesus is saying is, I hope you don't give up on God because of me. I just think it's a curious thing for Jesus to say. I hope you don't give up on God because of how I do. Now remember, part of what's happening here is he's preaching. He's talking about John, right? John's in prison. John's wondering why Jesus isn't coming and, and knocking people around. John's wondering why Jesus isn't coming and, and, and getting everything straightened out right away. And he's sitting in prison. I mean, one of the first things probably John was hoping is that I'd get out of prison once you start doing what you're doing. But it wasn't working that way. You know, one of the hardest things for me as a Christian is when I pray real hard for something and it does not happen. And I'm praying and it's not getting better. And I pray and I pray and I pray and it doesn't fix and I wonder if God's paying attention to my prayers. I wonder if maybe I've sinned somehow secretly and that's keeping God from answering. And, um, and so I pray harder or I pray different and it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't fix. And when that happens, it's easy to want to give up on God. And Jesus says, blessed is the person who doesn't give up on God because of me. Because Jesus isn't always going to act like we want him to. He's not always going to do the stuff we think he should. He goes on, same chapter, Matthew chapter 11, and he says, what can I compare this generation to? They're like children in a marketplace, and they're calling out to others, we played a pipe for you, but you didn't dance, and we sang a dirge, but you didn't mourn. In other words, why aren't you, sing, why aren't you dancing to the tune we're playing? You know, we asked you to do this, you didn't do it, then we asked you to do that, you didn't do that either. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm not going to dance to your tune. Now, there's a lot to think about with this. Um, there's a lot to think about with this. And I'm probably not going to do a good job explaining it all. So just bear with me here as I try to think through this out loud. But, but, but he's saying, you've got this expectation, but, but you don't know everything. I read something this morning, just this morning from Tim Keller. I read it. I, hadn't, I, I, just, I, I think it's interesting. <laughs> Follow with me here. Tim Keller says, future you... You in 15 years is going to look back at you today and say that you today were immature and you didn't know enough. Future you is going to look back at you today in 15 years and know that you're, and say you're, you were immature, you didn't know enough. So right now, you're immature and you don't know enough. I don't know why that hit me, but that's a curious thought because I like to think I know enough plenty right now to do what I need to do. I like to think I've got it all pretty much figured out. But future me is going to look back at who I am right now and say, I didn't know anything then. Right? And I know that because I look back at me 10 years ago. And I didn't know anything 10 years ago. I didn't know what I was doing. 
And future me is going to look at me and think that. Well, how much wiser is God than, than I am right now? And God looks back at me here and he says, you just don't understand how this is working. Well, God, I sang this song and you didn't dance to it. Well, you don't even understand what the song is. I remember watching American Idol once and, and Simon, if you've liked American Idol or not, when Simon was on it and he told one of the people, I think you would do better singing this kind of song. Well, I'm a, I'm a country artist, he said, the kid he was talking about. I, I don't sing whatever. And Simon says, you don't even know what you are. And I remember thinking it was funny because he said it and Simon was always barking at people, but you don't know totally what you are. I mean, you don't know who you're going to become. I mean, when you look back at your life, it reads like a novel, but when you look ahead at your life, it's just chaos sometimes. And you don't know what you don't know. You think you do, but you don't. And God says, trust me on this thing. Trust me on this thing. I'm going to come through. It just may not be the way you want it to come through. John was hoping that Jesus would come and punish all the sinners. Now, think through this with me. What's the danger of you praying, God, blast all the sinners? What's the danger of praying that prayer? <laughs> you're one of them, right? You may not be the worst one, but you're one of them. And when you start praying for God to blast all the sinners, lightning might strike your house. So God says, I'm patient here. I'm not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now, when you're the one hurting because somebody's hurt you, you want them to get what's coming to them. I understand that. I feel the same way. But Jesus says, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm patient. And I'm not necessarily going to dance your tune. You know, you could apply this for us as Christians. Sometimes as Christians, we go to a workplace that has different values than we do, and they say, listen, we want you to dance this way now. And you'll say, I, I, I just can't. You know, you're in a dating relationship, and they seem like such a great person. There's just one or two character issues that really pick at you. There's just one or two things that you know aren't right, and you keep hoping they'll change, but they aren't changing. And you know what you need to do, but you don't want to because you don't want to be by yourself again, and so what do I do? And and they keep saying, I sang you the song, you didn't dance to it. Well, I can't dance to that song. That's not what I'm about. And it's hard to hold on to Jesus and what he's trying to do when everybody else seems to be dancing to something else. And it's really hard to stay true in those moments. But Jesus asks us to. He tells us to hang on. It's interesting, too, on this deal here, he talks about kids expect this. The idea that adults wouldn't, but the kids, immature people expect this. Immature people expect you to do what they tell you to do. Immature people expect to be the boss in every situation. But mature people understand sometimes it doesn't work that way. I'm going to skip ahead here to that. Same chapter, Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, Come to me. Now think through all this thing. The whole thing's about one thing. It starts with John in prison. When, Jesus, are you going to start fixing things? And Jesus says, I hope you don't give up on me because I'm not doing it the way you want. And then he has that whole section in the middle. You know, you keep thinking, I'm going to dance to your tune, but I'm not going to. And then he has this thing at the end. Come to me, he says, if you're weary and you're burdened. 
Now, John would have been one of those guys who was weary and burdened. He was burdened by prison. He's weary because he's in prison. I mean, he had spent his whole life hoping for one thing, and now he's seeing that maybe what he thought he wanted is not really what it is. And Jesus says, I'll, I'll give you rest. I'll, I'll, I'll breathe new life into you. Right? If you're weary and you're burdened, I'll give you peace. And, and honestly, this is the thing you want the most. It, it's peace and joy and, 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 and your heart to be different. That's what you want. Happiness, we think we want happiness. Our, our, our national charter says that everybody's got a right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And we think that happiness is the big thing, right? But happiness is real unpredictable. Happiness is real unpredictable. Happiness only happens when something happens. I get a nice meal or somebody brings me a gift and I didn't expect it. Or you go to Disney World and you ride something that's kind of fun. And, and I'm happy because, because something happened there that made me that way. But happiness is unpredictable. You know, sometimes I go to the nice restaurant and I'm miserable. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe because I'm mad at the person across from me or I'm mad about something that happened that day and the food is great and I'm ticked off. Sometimes I go to a movie and it's a fine movie, but everybody talked it up so much, I don't enjoy it, right? And I tell somebody later, well, I probably would have liked it, but you made it sound like it was the best movie ever and I watch it, it's okay. No, oh, man, it is the best movie ever. No, it's all right. And, 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 you know, you can be unhappy in Disneyland. Did you know that? In Holiday World, you can be unhappy. I know the free sodas at Holiday World. It's just not enough. And you can be unhappy even in those places because happiness is real uh, unpredictable. But rest, the rest that Jesus is promising can be anybody, anytime. Our bodies are going to fail. Our bodies are going to give out. Sooner or later, you're going to be lonely because that's the human experience. But, but even in those moments, you can have rest. Even when you're weary, even when you're burdened. Whether the burdens are your own fault or not your fault at all. He says, come to me. The secret is being tied to Jesus. You'll find rest. He explains it. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, yoke literally is an ox yoke. You'd put it between two animals so they could carry something easier. But, but Jesus' yoke, you, tie, you yoke yourself to me, he says. If we're yoked together and learn from me, my yoke is my teaching. If you do this here, you're going to find I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you're going to find rest for your souls. Let's, let's, let's reflect on that for a second. I think that's kind of important. I think that's kind of instructive. When he says that... that uh, uh, I'm gentle and humble in heart. Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher in the 1800s, late 1800s, he said this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus tells you what his heart is like. You know, you might listen to a song where the musician or the, or the rapper or the, or the vocalist will say that, that about their heart. You know, I'm angry or I'm, I'm proud, I'm fierce, right? Or, or, or I'm, 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 I'm driven, you want to know what I'm like? I'm, I'm driven. I'm a goal setter. I achieve things. And Jesus could have said any of that stuff. And he could have said some religious stuff here. You know, in my heart, I'm worshipful. In my heart, I'm always God-focused. In my heart, I'm full of passion. Now, all those things would have made sense. But the only time where Jesus talks about his heart, what's going on inside, is I'm gentle and I'm lowly. I'm gentle and I'm humble. I mean, anybody can come to me. You know, the more important you are, the harder it is for someone to go hang out with, with them. Um, if they're really, really important, it's hard to go hang out with them. 
I don't know who you would think of who's really, really important, but, but maybe uh, a famous actor, right? If, if I wanted to go talk to, uh, who's a famous actor? Brad Pitt. If I want to go talk to Brad Pitt, I'd probably have a hard time going to talk to Brad Pitt. He probably wouldn't return my call if I called Brad Pitt. He'd probably have a whole line of people between me and him that I couldn't even get close to him if I wanted to. If I was stuck on a bus with some famous musician, um, um, who? Garth Brooks? Garth Brooks. Okay. Garth and I are on a, on a bus, and, and we're, we're, we're driving someplace, and, and I want to talk to Garth. Now, maybe Garth would be nice. He seems like salt of the earth in, 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 his, in his albums and stuff like that, but I have a hunch that he wouldn't want to talk to me if we were stuck on a plane, and especially if I said, you know, Garth, I think we could be friends. He's probably not interested in a deal like that. You know, depending on who the musician was, he might have a big fellow who was traveling with him sit between me and him in the bus. So I'd be a little further out into the aisle. You know, because the more important you are, you don't, you're not accessible. I can't just go up. I could go up to your house today and knock on your door, and you'd have to at least deal with me. I'm at your house. But I can't go to Willie Nelson's house. I can't go to Jennifer Lopez's house. All right? I don't think I can. I mean, I don't think I could do that. You couldn't go to somebody. The White House. A few years ago, I was going to be in Washington, D.C., and I thought, I'll go to the White House. I think it'd be kind of fun to tour that. You know, you can't just show up at the White House for a tour. You can't. Even, I mean, I, I'm not wanting to go into his bedroom and look through the drawers. I'm just wanting to go to take the tour. Of the, you can't do it. You can't go in the White House. Just show up and go. I'll, I'll go to the White House today. Here we're in Washington. You can't do it. They do tours, but they want to really inspect you before they let you in. You've got to give them your name and let them really do some digging into your life for months and months before they'll agree to let you come to the White House because they're important. Jesus, you would think, would be that way, but he's, but he's not. He says, come, anybody can. Anybody can come to me. There's no hoops to jump through. You don't have to become the right sort of person first. Anybody can come. Anybody can draw close. Now, this is good news if you're weary and heavy burdened. God wants to hear your prayer. God wants to respond to your prayer. And you'll get rest, he says, for your souls. Not necessarily rest for your body. He doesn't promise to heal everything. And he's certainly not going to heal old age. You know, we're all getting older every minute. But you'll find rest for your souls. Paul talks about that in Corinthians. He says, my body's wearing away, but my soul's getting new every day. It's the promise that's supposed to be for every Christian. How do you get there? Will you take my yoke upon you? Well, if you're burdened already, that sounds like even more work. I'm already tired, now I've got to put this thing on? No, it's not like that at all. Think of a yoke like a road map. If I want to go to Indianapolis, this is the shortest route. Go this route. This is the quickest route to get to Indianapolis. Well, I don't want to go your route. I want to go whatever route I want to go. Well, you can. It's just longer. You'll be free, but you'll be walking a lot longer than you will as if you just do what you're supposed to do. Jesus is saying there's a right way to live this life. And if you will trust God with your one and only life, future you is going to thank present you for having the sense to get on the right path all along. Last thing on this thing, the last sentence in the, in the chapter. 
said, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. It's like helium in a balloon. When you start taking this stuff on you, you're going to find it easier to roll, not harder. This all sounds pretty good. I don't know that it would have fixed John's problem. He still would have been in prison when he heard it. He still would have been in prison waiting for Jesus to fix things. And, and I should mention that one day Jesus is going to fix things. There is a, a final judgment coming. What John prophesied about the axe at the tree and all that stuff, that's coming. There is a job review to end all job reviews awaiting you in the future. When you're going to have to stand before God with nothing but the stuff you did to explain your life. And it won't matter too much what your intentions were. It'll just matter what you did. And, and, and for a lot of people, they're going to stand there exposed in front of a holy God, and it's going to be terrifying. And when John makes the prophecies he makes, it's worth thinking about that stuff because it's all true. But in between that ultimate judgment that's coming, Jesus came, and he offers to anyone who wants it, a chance to stand with him, to be yoked together with him, so that when you stand there in front of God, you're standing with him, covered in his righteousness. His yoke is easy. When you stand there in front of God at the end of your life, he's with me. And he didn't have it all figured out, but he was going the right direction, and that's all it's going to take to open the door. That's all it's going to take is to have him pay for the stuff that you couldn't pay for. And whether John got all that or not, I don't know. It never tells us. Whether John heard all that and said, okay, there you go, I'm, I'm glad we talked. We don't know. I hope he did. I hope you do. I, I, I'm really concerned for the person who comes in here and they're weary and burdened. That those are two great descriptions for you. You're, you're the person who has a hard time going to sleep at night. And you frequently wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning and have to think about all the things going wrong. You're the person who, who is continually dissatisfied with your family, with, your, with the people, all of them. <laughs> There's not really any of them that are making you happy. I, I, I worry for the one who's at a dead-end job that they can't seem to escape. I, and, and they wonder, is this all it is? I'm just selling my soul to these people, and they don't care about me. I, I think about the one who's, who's trapped with a bad neighbor or trapped under a bad debt or trapped under some sickness they just can't seem to shake, and, and the doctor's reports every month are a little worse, and, and you wonder, God, when are you going to fix this stuff? And Jesus says, just don't give up on me because of how slow I'm going. This will pay off. This, this will all absolutely pay off. Just stay with me, and I'll give you rest. I think about anybody here who needs, who needs rest. Because it's promised to you. Now, I'm going to pray. I'm going to have the band come back up. And I'm going to give you a chance, if you want to, to, to pray with me. So let's do that together. Dear God, I just pray right now for this group. If there's anybody here, God, who needs the rest that you promise. They don't feel it. They don't have it. They wish they did, but they don't. Then I pray, God, today you give them the courage to ask you for it. I pray today, God, you give them the courage to, to just call out to you, to, 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 to be humble enough, God, to pray and, and bend their knee to you and say, God, I need you to move in me. 
trusting that God, that you will. I pray for anybody in here who feels weary and burdened, who just feels weighed down by this world, just being crushed by the different things that are going on, who needs your hand, whoever that is, God. And I pray that you, you give them the, the courage to ask for it and, the, and then the sure assurance, God, when they ask for it, that you're moving. I thank you, God, for your grace shown to me over many years. God, I look back at who I was before, and I didn't understand these things. I'm thankful, God, that you never gave up on me. In Christ's name, amen. We'll give you a chance, if you want to, to come up and pray. You